engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. It is nine after four o'clock on a Friday afternoon. It is a glorious afternoon. It is. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Uh, WSB, that's the station I'm on, uh, in early for, well, Hannity, and we'll do the Atlanta's Evening News here in an hour, uh, but I uh, wanted to come on early, get you through the traffic so you can start your weekend. The phone number here is 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK, and while I got you, if you want to text the word SHOW to 444 uh, You can subscribe to the email and get links to the podcast. I did the podcast uh, yesterday, a lot of you have heard, on those of you who have questions about when to get your kids a cell phone and how to navigate them through social media. Some good advice from experts that I recount uh, that I know many of you have questions about because you're kind of in my demographic here. You've either got young kids or middle school kids and you're dealing with it. We'll get into the bullying issue in a while. Man, do I have a story on that. But uh, some breaking news first out of London uh, that police have arrested or charged an 18-year-old with the explosion of the bomb attack in London subway last week. It was a attempted bomb attack. It wasn't very successful. Um, the bomb did not explode as designed. And, of course, there was all of this hand-wringing last week in London that people were going to be anti-Islamic, and we can't say anything about it. Because, you know, in, in Great Britain, if you say, if you talk about radical Islam, you're going to be arrested for a hate crime. You you actually are. So you can't say anything. It will come as no surprise to any of you that the name of the 18-year-old is Ahmed Hassan, who was accused of planting the bomb at Parsons Green Station a week ago. The Great Britain continues to be in denial about the jihad being waged within the country, and you're not allowed to speak the name or you go to jail. A reminder of freedom of speech, which, you know, we're encountering this here. Uh, There's a couple in Minnesota. They are a Christian couple who have a filmography business, a a videotaping business. They, They film events for people as professionals. The one thing that they do not wish to do because they are Christians is to do gay weddings. And a judge today has thrown out their case uh, where they were challenging the Minnesota law and that basically said they couldn't get a business license unless they, they did it. And the judge, a federal district judge, said there's no difference between uh, them not wanting to film a, a gay wedding and whites uh, say no blacks allowed uh, back in the 60s. Which is honestly the most infuriating um, and dumbest thing. And I realize this is the talking point of the left these days because I think it's very clever. And the main reason they're taking this point of view is because there's a case before the Supreme Court coming up in October. And the Supreme Court is, um, they're trying to do public pressure on the Supreme Court by making this argument that that saying, I, I don't want to provide goods and services to a gay wedding is the same as saying no blacks allowed. Well, first of all, you don't need a bumper sticker on the back of your car to let people know you're black. I mean, that, that's just the truth. You, you don't. And if you're gay, you do. Uh, you you got to have the human rights campaign sticker, the rainbow sticker, whatever, to, to just let people know. Uh, they can't visually look in the car and say that. The difference, number one. Number two. Is this couple, like Jack Phillips, the baker in Colorado, was perfectly happy to film events for gay couples. Perfectly happy to do it. In fact, Jack Phillips um, had provided had, had a gay clientele in Denver, and they were happy to do it. Um, and they just didn't want to do the wedding because they're religious concerns. Um, they're, they're Christians. So it's not like saying no blacks allowed because uh, they're not saying no gays allowed. Um, they're just saying, we're not going to do this particular ceremony. But otherwise, we're happy to have you. That's so infuriating. And, and the intolerance, the totalitarianism of this is creeping up in millennials. And, and I don't mean this as a slight against millennials. It's just that's what the polling is showing, that free speech is uh, becoming less and less so. Um, the free exercise of religion, less and less so. The First Amendment is under attack, uh, largely through the terrible indoctrination of 
people. In fact, I, Michael Williams, running for governor, is coming on at 5 to talk to me about the teacher in uh, Cherokee County. He wants her fired immediately, uh, and I, I take real issue with him doing a protest there, demanding a special meeting to fire her because uh, they're still working through the process. And if I think if they do it wrong, they could get sued. Uh, they, well, they would. I, I mean, I was an education lawyer. So e- anyway, Michael Michael Williams is going to come on. And I, 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 I don't disagree that uh, the teacher should probably be fired. I do disagree uh, with doing a protest in front of the school demanding immediate action when there's a, a legal process that has to be completed or the school system could be liable. Um, but we'll discuss it at five. Uh, what we're seeing, though, on the left in particular is this increasing totalitarianism and this increasing resistance to actually have any sort of meaningful conversation like Jimmy Kimmel and Obamacare repeal. And by the way, this this entire hour, I will walk you through the, the Cassidy Graham situation. It's not going to happen, it doesn't look like, uh, because John McCain refuses. He wants regular order. Regular order, he said. In fact, someone yesterday said they saw Senator McCain and said, what was he going to do? And he said he was going to pound his fist and demand regular order. Regular order is the process in the Senate by which legislation is typically uh, developed. That is, you someone introduces a bill, it gets referred to a committee, and the committee drafts legislation around it, takes votes, builds compromises, moves it to the floor, and does it. That's what John McCain wants. Um, that is not going to repeal Obamacare, and Cassidy Graham would not repeal Obamacare, and that's why um, it, it, that is why Jimmy Kimmel is so wrong. In fact, let me pull up my buddy Ben Dominant. She's got that excellent newsletter the transom and this quote um he he quotes uh frederick uh, bastiat from 1850 in the law which is an excellent book if you've never read the law you need to read the law uh the law is a super short book and you need to read it and let me read you this quote so that you understand why you need to read it you should make your kids read the law here's the quote And again, this is from 1850. This is pre-American Civil War. Socialism, like the ancient ideas from which it springs, confuses the distinction between government and society. As a result of this, every time we object to a thing being done by government, the socialists conclude that we object to the uh, being done at all. We disapprove of state education. Then the socialists say we are opposed to any education. We object to a state religion, then the socialists say we want no religion at all. We object to a state enforced equality, they say we are against equality, and so on and so on. It is as if the socialists were to accuse us of not wanting persons to eat because we do not want the state to raise grain. And that is the Jimmy Kimmel situation. Jimmy Kimmel is only doing this because of ratings. Let's just be clear here. I I do not believe, I, I refuse to believe. Just as Jimmy Kimmel refuses to believe that Graham Cassidy isn't actually repeal of Obama, isn't anything other than repeal, I refuse to believe Jimmy Kimmel is doing what he's doing for anything other than ratings. He is he has a a weapon to use against Stephen Colbert. Stephen Colbert has been uh, using the left's rage against Donald Trump to boost his ratings. Stephen Colbert has become the comedian of la resistance. And I pronounce it in French because they keep surrendering even if they don't want to. So Kimmel needs a way to compete. He needs a way to capture some of Colbert's audience. Bring it over to ABC. So what's Kimmel doing? He's taking a political issue, Obamacare. And to get a leg up on Colbert, well, he's got this tragic story of his son's heart surgery. So he can use his son's heart surgery and pull the emotional strings and cry on TV and humanize himself in a way Colbert is not doing with his comedy to make him more relatable than Colbert so that he can have better ratings. I don't dis- I don't believe he's saying something he doesn't believe. I-, I believe he truly believes what he's saying. He's wrong about it, and his logic is really stupid about it. But I don't believe he's really doing this for the people. I don't believe he's doing this because he cares about the people. I, I'm firmly committed to the fact he's doing this for ratings as a way to distinguish himself from Fallon and from Colbert. And he sees that Colbert is having a lot of success by becoming the, the voice of La Resistance. So he's trying to go in that direction as well. And he can put a face and a child to his tearjerker story that he cries about on TV while he talks about this issue. He's passionately believing in the issue. 
and it humanizes him in a way Colbert's not humanizing himself. So it gives him an advantage to connect to people to help his ratings. And the media gives him all sorts of moral authority to talk about the issue because of his story. That's why this is happening with, with Kimmel. Uh, but Graham Cassidy is not happening. I'll tell you what I know when we come back. Um, how, how do I, I don't even know. So I, I gotta, this is, this is, I'm a professional. I should be able to do this. There's a story I want to talk about and I can't talk about it. Um, I mean, I can, but I just can't, um, because, well, okay. It's, uh, you know, the book, the guy wrote, um, his name is Adam Mansbach and he wrote the, the book, go the to sleep. It's got the picture of the baby asleep with tigers on the front. Um, yeah, go the <clears throat> to sleep. You you know the book I'm talking about, I presume. Uh, so he's got a con- a story of today. It's at uh, the Huffington Post in the UK, and it is the confession of a fake parenting expert who debuted at number one on the New York Times bestseller list. So he writes the book, Go the <clears throat> to Sleep, and he doesn't actually write it. He is doing it as almost performance art. He's a literary writer and does it almost as performance art at, at a museum in Philadelphia one night. And it is uh, goes home the next morning uh, or goes home that night, wakes up the next morning, and it's ranked 125 on Amazon. And by the end of the week, it's number one on Amazon. It's number one book on Amazon, and it doesn't actually exist. It is a PDF, and he had put it up there as a holding page trying to attract publishers. And people are mass ordering this book, so he actually produces it. Samuel L. Jackson reads the audiobook version of it, and it was all basically just a gag. That's that's basically all it was. It was just a, a, a performance art stunt that he did. Well, he has to do this. Well, then he starts getting people hiring him to come on TV and talk about parenting as an expert because of the book that he wrote as a gag. And he's desperate for money. The book's not coming out for a while during this time. And so he says, sure. So this dude is going on TV around the nation Conducting interviews, giving parenting advice. He's got one two-year-old, and he has never done any sort of family studies or anything sort of expertise, which is, reminds me of that Amazon story about the bomb making. I got to write a note to to get to this story, um, which is a ridiculous story. Anyway, the the guy is basically saying, uh, "My bad. Don't trust the media and their experts." No kidding. Which reminds me. So I got a favor to ask you guys, and, and sincere, honest favor. And I do mean this, not being silly here. Um, so, you know, my book comes out October 3rd and I got to my publisher wants me to get as many pre-orders as absolutely possible of the book in uh, because Monday they calculate the pre-order number, which I didn't know a week before the book. So if you if you do want to buy before you wake my book that comes up, my letters to my kids slash cookbook, text the word wake W.A.K.E. To 444-999 and please go on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever today or over the weekend and get your pre-order in so uh, I look like I've done my job on Monday. <laughs> Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. Um, real quick, I do, and I hate to, y'all, so let me, st- and I'll get into Graham Cassidy, but this is the way my mind works. I I hate asking people for money. I, I do, and I'm not going to ask you for money, um, but I do, and, and I'm doing the resurgent conference where, you know, a lot of you have asked me to do this. I guess I'm, I'm announcing this for the first time here. Um, a lot of you have asked me to do this. We used to do the red state gathering when I was at red state. There's nothing really that focuses on conservative policy out there right now. Uh, so I'm organizing the resurgent conference, which we're going to call recon. Um, basically it's going to be reconnaissance looking for good, 
uh, conservative public policy. We're not going to focus on candidates so much as ideas. And so I've been having to call around and ask different groups for sponsorship and, and find starting money and seed money and matching money. Oh, I hate to ask people for money. When I ran for office back in 2007, I funded the entire campaign out of my own pocket because I hate asking people for money. I do not like it. And I had to do it for the resurgent. I find it distasteful. Uh, you've got better things to spend money on than, than my campaign or my website. Or, and I, I love you guys dearly for being so generous. I uh, really, really do. Uh, you, it just, I have amazing listeners, but I hate doing it and I just having to do it this week, but it looks like we're going to have a fantastic conference and have some of the major tech companies, their CEOs on stage with me to talk about issues, uh, where conservatives are concerned about their companies from, uh, demonetization on YouTube to, um, censorship on Facebook and whatnot. We'll have some of their either CEOs or major leaders on stage. I'm, it's going to be in Austin, Texas. Uh, probably middle of next year. I wanted to do it in Atlanta, but uh, a group out in Texas made me an offer, can't refuse. Uh, and it was Texas Public Policy Foundation. And they have some great analysis out on, on Cassidy Graham, the legislation that I want to talk to you about. Uh, John McCain looks like he's killed the legislation. But uh, to tie all this thought together, and again, this is just the way my mind works. I'm sorry. My book comes out October 3rd and pre-orders get calculated on Monday. Three days from now, the pre-orders get calculated, and the higher that number is, the better the book sells overall, allegedly, because you make it higher on the Amazon list, the New York Times list, and all that stuff based on the pre-order number that's calculated on Monday. Um, so if you want to, if you have any desire at all, and this is my non-political book, this is the, the love letters to my kids, the things I want them to know about God and family and why they were raised the way they were and who I am, and, and it's my confessional uh, all the very public sins I have committed, some of which made it in the New York Times, and uh, all of their favorite recipes, it's all there. If you want to pre-order it, uh, text the word WAKE, W-A-K-E, to 444-999, and I'll get you back links to Amazon or Barnes & Noble, your choice. If you go to Barnes & Noble, I have signed a stack of these already, and Barnes & Noble is selling them uh, for no additional charge. You could get that there. Or we're going to be doing a book signing in Lawrenceville in a couple of weeks, and then we're going to do one at Monday Night Brewing. Um, we're going to have several book signings in the area. I would love to get up to Woodstock to Reformation, but uh, those guys, their business has exploded, and they do not have an available day. i got to get Spencer a copy of this book. Um, uh, that guy is just awesome. Uh, his uh, ref In fact, I'm wearing my Reformation Brewery t-shirt right now. Uh, they are good people up there, and we may have to find somewhere else up in Woodstock because so many of you live up there. But anyway, text the word WAKE to 444-999. I can't thank you enough. Uh, it is so crass of me to do this. I hate doing it, particularly when there's so much other going on. But it is vitally important, according to my publisher, that as many pre-sales get ordered by Monday as possible. So there you have it. Now, Cassidy Graham has promised. Uh, it is not going anywhere. And I want to be very honest with you that it was never going to be a repeal bill anyway. It was not. And I have been very torn on it. And the reason I haven't spent a lot of time on it is because I honestly can't make up my mind whether or not I think it's worthwhile. And the reason that I say that and the reason I just can't make up my mind on whether or not it is worthwhile is because it doesn't do what they promised. It is not repealed. Despite all of their claims, it's not, it's not repealed. It is a broken promise. And is it worth supporting a broken promise? And I, I'll tell you where I am by and large. And that is, this is probably the best we're going to do. And it will, if nothing else, um, help undermine some of the core claims by uh, the left on Obamacare. And it will allow 50 states to do 50 experiments uh, and see what actually works as opposed to one size fits all that none of us can escape from. That's where I am. It's not, it's not a great bill. Does it make some good changes to Obamacare? Yes, it makes some good changes to Obamacare, but it keeps a lot of the bad. It is a broken promise. And the question is, do you go with the broken promise that is an echo of the promise, or do you stay with the status quo? And I think the status quo is bad. 
And that's why uh, I, I wrote my syndicated column this morning, which uh, you won't find it in the AJC because they don't run my syndicated column. <clears throat> but other local newspapers in the area do. Thank you, Times Georgian over in Carrollton. Um, and the point I make is that neither Kimmel nor I have moral authority to talk about Obamacare because of our healthcare situations. We all have the same level of authority. We're all American citizens and Kimmel can do whatever he wants to do. Uh, and, and God bless him for doing it. He's an American citizen. He has that right. The problem is he's wrong about what he's saying, what this bill does. Uh, I don't particularly like the bill because it's not repeal. And now it's not going anywhere because uh, Rand Paul won't support it. And listen, Rand Paul says he will not support it because it's not full repeal. And that would be all well and good and believable of Rand Paul, except for the fact that Rand Paul supported a skinny repeal bill that did much of what this did and said it was the best we could do. And because of that, he ought to support it. Well, this is now the best we can do. And based on his logic, he should be supporting this. But the real deal is I don't believe Rand ever really meant it. I don't. And I'm sorry. And I like the guy, but I don't believe he ever really meant it. And the reason I say that is because Kentucky's governor supports this legislation. And, and Matt Bevan is a better, greater free market conservative than either Rand Paul or Mitch McConnell. And he supports it because he believes that it would give Kentucky greater flexibility to implement more free market systems, even though Kentucky would wind up, and this is the key to understand Rand's thinking here, even though the key is ultimately within 10 years, Kentucky would be getting less federal government money for Medicaid than it is today. And that, I think, tells you everything you actually need to know about why Rand Paul actually is opposed is because Rand Paul has never really particularly wanted to repeal it ever since Kentucky expanded their Medicaid exchanges because he knows it would put Kentucky in an awkward position and that could make his political life more difficult. I do have to say, though, as I was on Fox and Friends this morning at 615, uh, Steve Ducey, who, by the way, Steve Ducey is one of the, he and Brian Kilmeade, I don't know Ansley well. She's, I, I've been on set with her before. She's very, very nice. But uh, Ducey and Kilmeade are two of probably the nicest, kindest people on national television. And uh, so the fact that Jimmy Kimmel would be so terrible to Brian Kilmeade uh, says a whole lot more about Jimmy Kimmel than it does Brian Kilmeade. Uh, they genuinely are good, nice, profoundly decent people. Uh, and it's very rare in the industry these days where you meet people who actually are that just genuine, normal, normal people. You can find them at the grocery store. Um, and so anyway, so, so Ducey and I were talking this morning and uh, I'm not a fan of the pre-existing condition thing. I, I think it breeds irresponsibility. The purpose of insurance is to insure against risk. Uh, if you have a, the pre-existing condition provision, you're not insuring against risk. Consequently, you're not really running an insurance program. My wife's uh, cancer, my pulmonary embolisms, they're covered uh, not because of the pre-existing condition provision, but because we had insurance before they occurred. And if you're on your parents' plan, you transition off, you get a job, and you get insurance. And you, you don't drop your insurance. That's irresponsible. And the government, by allowing pre-existing conditions uh, provision, is encouraging irresponsibility and driving up health care costs. Because health care had been premised on not covering pre-existing conditions, and now that it has to, health care costs have had to spike to capture in the people who are going to wait until they get sick and then go get insurance. You're not insuring in that case. But as I told uh, Ducey this morning, I said, look, all these people saying, oh, the Republicans are going to get rid of the pre-existing condition provision. No, they're not. These people are moral cowards. They are not going to get rid of anything that could jeopardize their reelection. There is no way they're going to do that. The moral cowards in the Republican Party who have been promising forever to repeal Obamacare will never repeal pre-existing conditions. Because they are afraid they are careerist played and safe and they are afraid that they may lose their job. And that is ultimately one of the problems with the Republican Party today is it is run by a bunch of cowards. People who just want power for the sake of having power. They don't want to know. They don't want to do anything with it once they have it. They just don't want the other side to have it. They want to use it to reward their friends and punish their enemies just like the other side does. And that is a shame. That is terrible. Um, and that's what they do. So we're going to be stuck with Obamacare now. Yes, Cassidy Graham, it is a direct it is a step in the right direction. But don't kid yourselves, folks. It was never a repeal. 
despite what they said. They've been lying all along. Fifty-five after the hour. Eric Erickson here. A man who had been denied a gun license fatally shot his six-year-old son before taking his own life. A Massachusetts prosecutor said on Friday um, there was a nine-one-one call, and it is a terrible, horrible case. Terrible, horrible situation. The reason that I bring it up, though, is because the system, as designed as best we can by men, worked. He couldn't get a gun permit based on a history of interactions with police, including allegations of domestic violence. We don't know where he got the handgun from, but it is a reminder that we can put up all sorts of legal restrictions to make things very difficult and bad things can still happen. Terrible things can still happen. The law does not protect you from evil. Only God does. And at least in this situation, the left is not using this as a political tool to try to restrict the second amendment. And they can't because the system worked as designed and the bad things still happen. And, and the only alternative is to ban all guns, and that's not going to happen. Um, it is nice to see that the, this politicization isn't going to happen um, because of the, the way the system was set up. You know, interestingly enough, as a side story, and I see this on the AP website where I saw the story, and um, there is, wow. People are, people are evil. A, a Michigan woman uh, sacrificed her chance to prolong her life in order to give birth to her sixth child. Um, Carrie Decline, uh, Decline, I guess she died, had cancer, and doctors had urged her to abort her child. And believing that all life was sacred, uh, her daughter, born prematurely 24 weeks uh, and five days into the pregnancy, weighed a pound and four ounces, um, is healthy and doing well, and her mother has departed and headed home. And people are ridiculing this mother's decision. Have you ever noticed that the only choice the left wants to give you is whether or not to kill a child. And if you don't, they ridicule it, ridicule you when you don't make that choice. Um, I, man, I hate to be depressing this afternoon. We'll get into different stuff here uh, in a little bit, but this story is just, it's appalling to me. People's reaction to, to a private personal decision uh, where the mother decided to put her child's life over her own and let life go on. Um, and now she's with the angels uh, the mother is just, uh, but people and their heartlessness, my goodness, let's move on. Shall we, when we come back, I want to get into some local news. Uh, Michael Williams, uh, state Senator running for governor, uh, organizing a protest in Cherokee County over that teacher didn't want kids to wear make America great again shirts. He's going to join me. Uh, we disagree on this issue. Uh, I'll explain my side. Let him explain his, uh, and then we got a lot of other ground to cover before we, you go home today. It is 10 after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson. This is WSB. Uh, I have mentioned to you guys that I was going to invite on all of the gubernatorial candidates in Georgia, the, the ever-growing list, and basically do what we did in the 6th Congressional District of uh, ask them the three basic questions uh, of who are you, what sets you apart, why should people vote for you, and go through that. Uh, and it was going to start in a couple of weeks, really, uh, reaching out to do that after I I'm have either had breakfast or dinner with all of them. And uh, but uh, So Michael Williams, uh, state senator from Forsyth, who you guys all very graciously rallied around to, oh, beat what's his name um, several years ago, deservedly so. 
Uh, he's having a protest next week in Cherokee County at the school where the teacher wouldn't let the, let the kids wear the Make America Great Again shirts. And uh, sent out an email this morning saying if the school board calls a special meeting prior to Wednesday to fire her, uh, he'll do it. And I just, I vehemently disagreed with him. Uh, and he wanted to get on and, and discuss it with me. Michael, thank you very much for joining me this evening. And I got to tell you, uh, I, my days are so mixed up. Um, when I first thought, I was like, why is he doing a protest on a Friday afternoon? And then realized it is, is next week. But uh, go on and yeah, make yeah. your case for, for why doing the protest to, to have her fired. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, first of all, Eric, I just want to want to thank you for letting me on the show. I want to thank you also, as you mentioned, for coming out and, and endorsing me against uh, Jack Murphy. That's his name. I, I can never remember yeah, that guy's yeah. name. Yeah, and, and, and I know that one of the reasons that you endorsed me and supported me was because that you knew that I was a fighter and I would stand up and defend what I believed in. And that is exactly what I am doing right now. I've heard you for years talk about how you are so sick and tired of having elected officials that are cowards that will not stand up and fight for our constitutional rights. The children at that high school had their First Amendment's rights taken away from them. There's video evidence of that. She even admitted to it on, on WSB that she uh, you know, wanted them to take that shirt off because it was uh, Make America Great was a neo-Nazi white supremacist uh, slogan, which is absolutely false. The school board, they have enough information. They've had three weeks to make a decision. They still have not, and she needs to be fired. Well, see, now, this is where you and I disagree on this, because I, I don't actually disagree that she does need to be fired. And they're very anybody who hasn't seen the video, if you go to WSP and just search for it, you'll find the lady. But uh, the school board, they're off this week for fall break. Um, the video evidence didn't come out immediately of what happened. They began the disciplinary process. They, they put her on discipline while they're investigating and her contract allows a certain amount of time for there to be an investigation to happen. And I think that if, if they were to do what you want, which is to call a special meeting and fire her, in fact, I don't think I know, um, that she would then have grounds to sue them and make money off of them for doing that. Okay. I guess, how do you know that? Have you read that contract? Uh, because she's got the standard state school contract in, in Cherokee County. I already called and asked. So uh, you've read it? Her individual contract? No, but I mean, no. I, I used to okay. do these contracts, Michael. And, and, and again, I have not read the contract. I don't believe you've read the contract, but uh, most contracts I'm aware of have a clause in there for extenuating circumstances. And when a teacher takes away a student's First Amendment rights, when they humiliate them, when they come out bullying him, uh, making him take off his shirt because it has a Make America Great on it, I consider that an extenuating circumstance, and decisions have to be made. All right. I am so tired of waiting for government to do something instead of just kicking it down, kicking the can down the road. They want to wait till this thing kind of blows over before they before they address it, and we're not going to let that happen. Okay, uh, to your extenuating circumstances point, Michael, a, a good point, except for the fact that the standard contract that teachers use, I mean, it, the odds are she didn't have an agent. Uh, they use the standard contract in Cherokee County that they use in other counties. They're the extenuating contracts language that all the counties use. Um, it, the extenuating circumstances situation wouldn't apply here because she didn't physically abuse the student. So because that, <laughs> so she's wait, wait, got, wait, you want to say because there was no physical abuse that they, the kids were not abused. Well, I mean, so you talk to no, I listen. Psychologists sometimes mental abuse is worse than physical abuse. Well, there was abuse there, Michael. The problem is that you and I don't get classroom. to define what extenuating circumstances are. The the courts do and the it, lawyers but Eric, do. There is video evidence of this. There, I, there, I'm not no disputing it about what happened, Michael. I'm I'm not disputing that there's video evidence. Move forward with it. Well, I'm not disputing that there's video evidence, Michael. What, what I'm disputing is that this situation isn't working. Whether you and I like that it works slow or not, this is government we're talking about. Sometimes it does, and they do have to do an investigation or the school board coughs up money to her instead of firing her. Well, uh, yeah, you also have to look at the student's perspective as well. Uh, don't you think there's going to be a lawsuit coming against the school for, for what this teacher did? And they can show immediate that uh, they needed something immediately because they knew what, what she did was wrong to protect against that lawsuit. The school is in a very, very tough situation right now. I do not doubt that. But they need to do what is right, and we all know what is right is to fire that teacher. And any excuse otherwise is just, again, it's falling into what the left wants us to do. Well, we, yeah, as, as conservatives, I, but, we have to stop 
being scared of doing things that are uncomfortable and inconvenient. Well, I think it's in this situation uncomfortable and inconvenient to actually follow the law. And what you're asking them to do is to not follow the law. You're actually asking them no, to do no, what the no, left no. wants. That is not, no. Yes, no. You, because I, they have a process. The First Amendment rights. Well, they have a process they have to follow legally or they get in trouble, and you're asking them to not follow that process, which could make no, it liable for no, the again, taxpayers of Cherokee County. No, call a special Board of Education meeting. Have the discussion. In fact, it was, what, last week they had a Board of Education meeting where they could have brought it up then, but they didn't. There were Actually, I, there. I there called and asked why. I called and asked why they didn't do that, and they said because the investigation is undergoing, and it will be probably at the next regularly called board meeting where this comes up, but they got to conclude the investigation. Okay, so, so, so they are dragging their feet. They're dragging their feet in the hopes that this goes away. No, and I don't think they're dragging their feet at all. Wednesday in fact, the people I talked to seem to say to they're taking away. it very seriously. I, I think they're taking it very seriously based on the conversations I've had looking into this. Uh, well, very much do. Well, well Eric, <laughs> I, I, I believe that you believe that. But also, after reading the article that you put out there about me, some of the accusations that you made about me calling me Antifa, Calling me, uh, well, yeah, I, I think you're behaving like groups. them. You, you know you're, these are the right. groups. Well, I, I you know, know that's, that's the right. point, Michael, I, is that that's not you, and yet protest. you're doing this. Um, well, you, no, but no, no, we're going to have a peaceful protest. We're not going to wear a mask. We're not going to be dressed in black. We're going to have a peaceful protest out there to let the people know that we are tired of being bullied and, and, and having our voice suppressed. There's nothing about what we're doing related to Antifa whatsoever, but yet you accuse me of being it. Well, that, that, that's absurd. When you're going in from an outside situation to a situation, trying to exert your power over the situation to get people to do something that actually would be deviation from the law, that's very much what Antifa is doing. Okay. And you're demanding that the school no, system no, we, violate its policies, procedures, and actually the state's rules on how they have to deal with the discipline of a teacher. No, we are exercising our constitutional right to gather to assembly and to petition uh, our government to fire this lady for infringing upon a student's First Amendment right. There is nothing even remotely related to Antifa, to Antifa that we are doing. And that, well, that's absurd and it's ridiculous. All righty. we got to leave it there because we're out of time. We're going to agree to disagree on this one. Michael Williams running for governor. Uh, thank you very much for taking the time to actually come on and debate this with me. Uh, good conversation, and we will agree to disagree. I just, folks, uh, again, if Cherokee County fires her before they conclude their disciplinary process, which is currently undergoing then they pay her money um the question is ultimately do you want to pay this teacher money who should be fired or do you want to let them conclude the due process hearing and then if they don't fire her protest but if they don't conclude the process then she gets to sue them Twenty-six after the hour, Eric Erickson here. You know, Michael uh, Williams, who was with me, mentioned the piece I'd written this morning on this, and I did use some very strong words uh, about uh, what he's doing. And if you want to read it, you can subscribe to the daily email and, and get the podcast, everything, by texting the word SHOW to 444-999, or just go to theresurgent.com. You can find it. Uh, but my point was exactly what he said, um, where uh, this isn't him. Um, Michael Williams is a profoundly great person. Uh, I really like Michael Williams. Um, uh, Michael Williams candidate for governor. Isn't that Michael Williams though? He, he is doing what the, the church of Satan and Antifa did at Georgia tech. He's, uh, hijacking a situation somewhere and stirring the pot, um, in his case to build his gubernatorial campaign. Uh, and he's putting the Cherokee County school system in a, a terrible situation. I mean, he's not from there. He doesn't represent the area. His kids don't go to school there. And the Cherokee County school system, they have suspended the teacher. She's not in the classroom. Uh, they are on fall break this week, so they couldn't meet to discuss the situation. Um, they have an orderly process they have to do, and she's under a teaching contract. And the extenuating con I, I was a lawyer for six years. I worked with school boards uh, from, from Gainesville. To, good God, I used to have to come drive up to Gainesville from Macon down to Valdosta. Um, extenuating circumstances is not making boys leave the classroom because you don't like the shirt they're wearing. Uh, that'll get you fired, and, and I don't disagree with that. But you can't be fired until you go through the process review to fire her. Uh, unfortunately, being a, a school system, a public school system and not a private school system, uh, there are laws uh, that have to be complied with. 
And if the school system doesn't, they're going to wind up paying the teacher money. And I don't want to see the school system pay the teacher money. And I just, I think it's unfortunate that this situation is being magnified to build a gubernatorial campaign. And it puts a school system that handled this thing properly in a very bad light, making them to be the bad guys when it was the teacher who's at fault and she should be fired. And it's making it more difficult to actually do that in this situation. It's 39 after the hour. Eric Erickson here on WSB. Uh, you know, Michael Williams makes a very good point um, on the issue of the First Amendment and uh, this teacher denying uh, kids in public school their First Amendment right, although I, I realize there is legal precedent that, that you can impose some restrictions uh, in a public school setting, uh, but not on, on wearing a Make America Great Again Shirt. And by the way, she said it was because it came right after Charlottesville. And uh, my understanding is there are some people who think m maybe these particular students knew they could provoke her. It doesn't matter. They have the right to wear the shirt. Um, and the school district, I think, took appropriate steps. They apologized to the students as soon as it came out that that had happened. The principal disciplined the teacher, and then the school district suspended her. But this is an ongoing thing with the left, and I have no doubt, given her reaction, she's of the left, and I don't think anybody can deny that, is that they are trying desperately to shut down the First Amendment, and they've got a bunch of dumb college kids helping them. And I mean, in every sense of the word, dumb college kids who don't think the First Amendment protects all speech, just the speech they like. We have gone, a buddy of mine noted earlier um, from the Voltaire statement, uh, I disagree with what you say, but to, the, to my death, I will defend your right to say it. Um, to uh, I disagree with what you say, and, and to your death, I, I will fight you to deny you the right to say it. That is exactly what the left is doing. But one of the other things the left is doing, and, and this is where I have so much moral concern, and it really is for me a moral concern. Um, the left is pressuring people on the right to give up the rule of law and do what feels good. It is uh, the left getting us to go their way. Uh, and uh, the argument you hear, and I know some of you make it because you call into the show sometimes to say, well, they're doing it, so we should do it. Um, they're going full Alinsky. We should go full Alinsky. And as I wrote my piece about uh, Michael Williams this morning, uh, Alinsky dedicated his book to Satan. Alinsky argued that Satan was the first community organizer and that the tools in his book, Rules for Radicals, are the tools that if Satan were alive today, he would use. Absolutely right, Saul, yes! And so the, the problem I, I have is that if you are embracing Saul Alinsky's tactics, you are embracing tactics that the man who wrote the book thinks Satan would use. And it's exactly what the left wants. Uh, they want the breakdown of the rule of law. Because, you see, we're actually at a point where more and more data is showing Republicans may next year wind up being safer than they should be because the overall public is reacting very badly to the left deploying these tactics. And if we begin on our side to deploy these tactics, well, then we have given up any argument to distinguish our behavior from their behavior. I mean, Scripture says God's ways are, are not our ways and our ways are not their ways. And I think when we, for example, uh, show up and protest at an event, and when we take a, a, a private person, and we've all seen this happen repeatedly, where a private person has done something they should not have done, something we disagree with, maybe something we agree with and the other side disagrees with, and suddenly we, we got to show up at the business and demand that person be fired. They're not allowed to express their, their opinion. Now, I disagree with what the teacher did. I won't even defend her right to do it. She shouldn't have done it. Um, but I think if we give up the process that is put in place legally in order to deal with the situation, we are no better than the left. Because the left depends on us abandoning the processes. And the reason the left de de depends on our abandoning all of the processes currently in place uh, is very key to understand where we're headed. So here's why the left strategically requires that we abandon the rule of law in the process. 
Because if we do, if we take the bait and do that, then we fall into the trap of determining the grand says who. And by the grand says who, that becomes the mob. And so whoever mounts the largest mob then wins because there's no rule of law. And the left is desperate for us to go there. And so once we give up that ground and we, and we give up that moral authority, well, then the left's got us. Then it is the mob. And here's the problem for us, for conservatives, is that no conservative is willing and able, if they have any bit of faith in them, to go as far as the secularist. You don't, do you? You can't. Because you believe in a last judgment, you're going to be held accountable. Uh, you're going to be asked what you did for the least of these. I mean, you make it your salvation by faith, but you get your spot in heaven based on what you did on this planet. Um, it, it, that's that's Martin Luther, John Calvin right there. My apologies to, to you uh, uh, Catholics out there. Um, it, it is by faith alone that you're going to get your salvation, but you're going to be judged on your works. Scripture makes that clear. And, and so if you're a conservative, particularly if you're a conservative who has a, a faith component to you, you will never go as far as the secular atheist humanist will go because you are bound by a moral code they are not bound by. And when you give up that moral code, you give up uh, that which makes you you and you become them. But that's what they want us to do. So when there are rules in place and there are procedures in place, it is always the left that demands we, we take the shortcut. It is always the left that demands we speed things along. It is always the left that says um, the ends justify the means. Ends justifying the means is a secular humanist liberalism that comes from 19th century Germany um, that is devoid of God. And it is nice and it feels good to us. It's what we want because we can get to exactly what we want. Um, damn the rules and regulations. This is the outcome that needs to happen. So let's make it happen. And the moment we get there, we have decided that we now, not God or the grand says who, and we are the mob. And when the mob is in charge, well, then it's who has the biggest mob. And they're always going to have the bigger mob. Because we're incapable, you may say you are, but you are ultimately incapable because of your moral code of doing what those who have no moral code are willing to do. And that may, in the short term, hurt you, but in the long term, get you your salvation that they don't believe in. That's why it is vitally important at a time like this for conservatives to double down on supporting the process and the rule of law and not doing tit for tat with the left and not engaging at that level with the left because it's exactly what the left wants to do because it is what Saul Alinsky knew if you bothered actually reading all of Rules of Radicals and his other work that once he gets us to behave just like them, they win. Again, he dedicated that to Satan for a reason. Lindsey Graham says he's not giving up on health care overhaul. McCain may be still persuadable. We don't know. There's always going to be someone else to change their mind. They don't, they don't really want it to pass. They've been lying to us the whole time. Uh, we'll get to that. Uh, and uh, Betsy DeVos scrapping campus assault guidance from the Obama administration uh, when we come back. But, uh, you know, first, I, I want to encourage you guys to subscribe to the show uh, the show notes and the podcast. If you haven't, you can text show to four, 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 nine, nine, nine. Uh, but more importantly, if you weren't here last hour, I, I, this really is a big ask. I know. And I'm sorry. It's asking you guys to spend money on me, which is somewhat ridiculous. I get it. Uh, but if you want to pre-order my book, they do the book pre-order tabulation on Monday, which helps with like the New York times bestseller list and the Amazon list. I don't know how it works. All I know is that they, they tabulate that number on Monday. So if you want to order the book, please text the word WAKE, W-A-K-E, to 444-999, um, the word WAKE to 444-999. Uh, 
get it in by Sunday evening. I, that'll text back a link to Amazon and Barnes Noble. You can take your pick. Uh, and that'll, that helps tremendously. I don't know how book publishing works. Uh, understanding the, the mechanics and economics of radio is like understanding the mechanics and economics of pizza delivery. Why does the pepperoni cost a whole lot less than the cheese? Uh, and that is even like a, easier than understanding aviation economics, uh, which is even less complicated than understanding the book publishing business. But in any event, text wake to four, 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 nine, nine, nine. And I appreciate it very, very much. Thank you. It is 10 after 6 on a Friday. Praise Jesus. And I do mean that very seriously. Praise Jesus. Now, I want to move on to Betsy DeVos. Uh, who, by the way, I just, uh, as a total aside here, the AP and The Hill both ran separate stories today on the outrage of outrages that Betsy DeVos flies a private plane all over the country, all, or flies. She's flown on a private plane, the Secretary of Education, and she should be flying corp, uh, commercial as Tom Price should be flying commercial. And shame on her for doing it. And by the way, it's her private plane, her own family, personal, private plane, and she pays for it. The federal government doesn't. Uh, kind of a key detail they should have reported, huh? But they didn't because they're liberals and they're buying into this story and they're running with it. Like the one on Tom Price, y'all. I'm getting criticism from conservatives about Tom Price, and I'm not backing down on this one. I'm not. This man, Tom Price, has no business being on a commercial airplane with other public passengers around him when the left literally wants him dead for trying to repeal Obamacare. If we lived in a world where James Hodgkinson had never existed, I would say, Tom Price, get on Delta. But we don't. We live in a world where James Hodgkinson, fueled by left-wing rhetoric and rage over the repeal of Obamacare, attempted a mass assassination of Republican members of Congress. And this man, Tom Price, is charged with the overhaul or walk back of Obamacare regulations. He doesn't need to be on a public. He does not need to be on a commercial jet because of you and me. We could be on the plane with him and we may not get shot and he may not get shot. But, you know, there's going to be some Birkenstock clad, hairy armpitted, angry feminists uh, from the, the National Education Association yelling at him uh, and holding the flight up. And none of us are going to be able to get to our final destination on time because the, the angry woman in comfortable shoes is going to be yelling at him over something to make herself feel morally superior because she didn't go to church anymore. And yelling at conservatives is her way of feeling holy. We, he does not need to be on commercial planes. Uh, and now with Betsy DeVos, the left basically wants her dead too. And I, I do want y'all to understand here um, that I'm not actually being rhetorical because there are a lot of people on the left wishing these people actually would die or be killed. We have reached that point in America where uh, differences in public policy uh, are absolutely exclusivistic. And by that, I mean, if you don't support Obamacare, you must want everyone dead. Therefore, you should die. If you do not support the Obama campus sexual assault policies, uh, you must want women on college campus sexually assaulted. Therefore, you should be sexually assaulted and die. Uh, we're at that point in America. There can't be a difference of opinion uh, to get to the same outcome. I, I, I've mentioned this before, but I was listening to a tech podcast. Now, this has been months ago. I was up in I was uh, when I was taking the, the prophets class in seminary and I was coming home on a Saturday listening to this tech podcast. And a very, very smart guy, inventor of some notable software that I use. Um, he seems like a very nice guy, except he was on there and he's saying, you know, we used to live in a world where Democrats and Republicans could could disagree on how to do something, but they could agree on the outcome. And, and well, we're not there anymore. Republicans just want people to, to not have health care. So that's not true at all. That's not true at all. We, we, we absolutely believe that everyone should have access to health care. We just believe that there are people who government needs to take care of and there are people government need not take care of. They can take care of themselves. And if we put certain policies in place, we can bring down the cost of health care so that government needs to take care of fewer and fewer people. And those people are able to take care of themselves better and better without government. But the left doesn't see that way in the same way with Betsy DeVos. Y'all, I was the chief justice of the university when I was at Mercy University. 
as a college student. I dealt with uh, alleged bombings. I did. Uh, uh, yeah, that's in my book. Uh, I dealt with uh, assault campus assault situations. I dealt with drug situations. I expelled kids from school. Uh, suspended kids from school. I I handled all of that. When I was a college student at Mercer, the college, the judicial system at Mercer was treated very seriously by faculty and staff, and they did a lot of empowering of students to take care of situations and to self-regulate. And we handled these situations, and we took them very seriously. And I was a strong advocate of the position. I can only think of two situations in four years that I ever dealt with sexual assault. I was chief justice for two and a half years. I can only think of two situations where I dealt with the sexual assault situation. In every other situation, it was the policy of the university that um, if you had been sexually assaulted, let the authorities deal with it. And I think that's the same situation here that needs to be taken care of. That if you are accusing someone of be of raping you go to the police if you are the victim of sexual assault let justice be done but everybody who has their day in court and is accused should have the same rights and due process and if you're on a college campus they deny you that if you are a young man more often than not these days you are presumed guilty until proven innocent in a college situation uh, because colleges have been hijacked uh, by a bunch of angry liberals who don't respect the rule of law. And again, the ends justify the means and they believe in rape culture and every young man can be a rapist. And because the ends justify the means, we short circuit the circuit. We short circuit the process and we presume you guilty until proven innocent which is not the American system. It is not the way the system works. And you see, this again goes full circle unintentionally to the conversation we were having earlier where when we give up on the rule of law, the grand says who becomes the mob. And on a college campus, the grand says who is is the left. Absolutely. And if we give up on the rule of law and just say it, it's, it's the majority, well, on a majority college campus, you're screwed. If you're accused of any crime. And that's why we can't afford to abandon the system. And that's what Betsy DeVos is standing by, is that there is a system in America where the accused is innocent until proven guilty. And that is not what's happening on college campuses, so it needs to be fixed. And the left hates her for it. They hate her for it. Because, again, this is not actually about sexual assault on campus. And some of them truly believe it is. But at the meta level, at the at the higher level it is not actually about sexual assault. It is about breaking down further the rule of law on college campuses and elsewhere to buy into things that don't actually exist, like the whole idea of rape culture. And that cannot be imposed but by force of the mob. And so the rule of law must be done away with at all costs. Have you guys heard about Sean Spicer's notebooks? Oy. Um, so, listen, this is not a not a hate Spicer thing because I actually really like Sean Spicer a lot. Um, he has been, I mean, you know, a, a friend in the Washington friend sense, uh, meaning that uh, we don't know each other well. Our families don't hang out, but... Uh, if I'm in D.C. and he's around, uh, we will get together. He's he's just a good guy, and he keeps he's he's Rumsfeldian in his note keeping habit. Um, Spicer is a guy who is known for keeping super detailed notes of everything, uh, and in keeping super detailed notes of everything, well, the Mueller investigators want to look at his notebooks and. The Trump officials are upset about it in the White House, certain people in the Trump administration. And I don't know that they should be. Um, so here's the thing, and, and I'm just going to say it, because uh, even Obama administration officials on background are willing to admit it, is that the rule of thumb in the White House is you write down as little as possible. Because if there ever is an investigation, the less you write, the better off you are. And Spicer's a guy who, to help keep him on track and organized, wrote down copious notes of everything. And you just got to believe, or you just got to hope, that that he 
was uh, discerning in how he wrote things down and what he wrote things down. Um, and you, you got to trust that the Trump administration, though, is some of the people in the White House think that Spicer is going to be settling scores. He's not that type of guy. Uh, that's not the Sean Spicer that, that I, I know. Although, you know, I mean, events change things and events change people. Uh, I mean, look at Michael Williams and me disagreeing, I think for the first time, uh, now that he's running for governor. Um, but I just, I can't see that. Uh, when we come back, I want to pivot, uh, to Uber and something has happened in Australia and we're going to see this happening more and more. It is not Islamic jihadism, although it is jihadism of a form and it's coming. Well, it's actually already here, but it's going to get worse. It is rare. I feel like I, I need to ask forgiveness from the audience, uh, but I do. By the way, the phone number 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. Um, but I'm going to ask for a, a small bit of forgiveness in that uh, I had to be up at five this morning. I maybe got an hour and a half, two hours of sleep last night. The, the steroids in my system are still wearing out and uh, I, I'm trying to be enthusiastic, um, but I'm, I'm running out of steam to a degree. Um, but... I want to spend a minute, if you will, just so you know what you're getting. Um, I, I want to just read you this passage. This is chapter 7 uh, from my book, just so you understand. Uh, Evelyn Gunner, they're my kids. They're the center of my universe. But they're not the center of the universe. I keep pictures on my computer, pictures of family through the years posing for the camera, doing mundane activities. I scroll through them at night in my office. Nobody's looking. I see my wife and me as a young couple. I was able to fit in clothes that are folded up in my attic now. I see the photographs of me as a kid. There's one of me with spaghetti in my hair. I see my children. I see their cousins. I see how they look alike, how they look different. The faces, the eyes, the smiles, they all bring back memories of days Maybe some of them imagined, made more perfect than they were. Days of youth, of innocence, joy. I want my kids to stay innocent and young. But I know the hard realities of the world beyond our house. Call them. They're going to lure them. They're going to try to tempt them away. I really worry for my kids. I worry for your kids, too. I want my kids to know that they're loved. So when they feel unloved or rejected elsewhere, they know they can come home again. And few things are more terrifying is the realization that the clock's ticking on how we raise our kids. Will they be good? Will they love God? Will they fall away from the values we teach them? Will they be kind? There's a reason people don't get gray hair until they have their kids. And then they have kids, and the next thing you know, the kids are driving. Thankfully, Evelyn and Gunnar aren't there yet, but Evelyn's getting close. It's coming sooner than we realize. And they may be subject to Christie's and my affection, but uh, they need to know how insignificant they are in the universe to appreciate just how significant they are. There are more than 7 billion people on the blue orb of life that circles the giant ball of plasma that we call the sun. There are nine planets, including Pluto people, countless moons, asteroids, objects at the outer edge of the solar system, except planet X, which doesn't exist. And then beyond that, there's the Milky Way, there are hundreds of billions more stars, countless more planets, comets, and space debris, space junk, all of that out there. And the Milky Way is just one of a seemingly infinite number of galaxies with a seemingly infinite number of stars in a vast expanse of space so large we can't see it all, and it's all drifting steadily and further apart. So I sometimes sit in the field behind our house, have my telescope out there, look up at the heavens, the Andromeda Galaxy, lights up my telescope. Orion's nebulous colors sink into the, my retina. When I was a kid, I'd go camping with my dad in the Middle East in the desert. We could see the Milky Way at night. Made you feel smaller than small. We weren't even specks in the universe. And the vastness of space is only paralleled by the vastness of our imagination to conjure up ideas about what's out there. But that sometimes makes us forget what's already here. 
Some people look up at the night sky and see a random act of cosmic chance. I look up at the night sky and see the hallmark of our creator. I think God's real. I'm convinced of it. And no amount of scientific testing or explaining away of miracles can make me think otherwise. I don't expect that I can convince everyone. I don't expect I'm going to make everyone believe in God. It's like Graham's number. Have you ever heard of Graham's number? Ronald Graham discovered the number that's now named after him. I can't write the number down for you, nor can I tell you what the number is. Every atom of every particle of every object of every substance in the entire universe could be called up and used to write out Graham's number and it would not be enough to write it down. In other words, Graham's number is a number he conceived of to be so large that every substance in the universe, every atom of every substance could be used to write it down and you would run out of substance to be able to write it down. It would fill beyond the entire observable universe, but it's a real number. It is real. Add one to it, the number grows even larger. Multiply by two, it grows larger still to a number now double the size of the number that can't even be contained in the new universe, unknown universe. But it's real nonetheless. I would not expect that we could contain God in a universe of his own creation when math itself spills over the boundaries of the universe. The orderly proposition of a mathematics that can explain the universe seems to belie a cosmic music that reveals order instead of cosmic randomness. As other people have noted far smarter than me, when you work your brain back to the other side of the Big Bang and consider that there must have been something that gave rise to an explosion of unfathomable energy creating a universe and galaxies and a solar system and planets, a planet with us on it, well, there's something that begins to look a little bit like a god. The God I believe in and raise Gunner and Nevelyn to believe in, I think he's the God of creation. And I think we'll be accountable to him on the last day. And it shapes what we can and cannot do on this world. And it shapes the actions of others who believe they're not bound to the confines that I bind myself to. And I know when scripture teaches they will have a better life than I have. Far freer. But they will have 90 years and it is as good as it will get for them. And I will have an eternity that will get better every day. That's chapter seven, a part of it from my book. And I share that with you because it relates to everything we've talked about tonight. And also, so you know what you're getting with, you're not getting politics with this. There are also recipes. If you want it, text the word wake, W-A-K-E to 444-999. It's 56 after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson. If you text show to 444-999, you can get a copy of the show's podcast. Uh, you know, we're pretty prompt about getting it up uh, later in the evening. You'll also sign up for the daily email. J.J. Uh, Abrams is coming back to direct Star Wars 9. Uh, big news. Now, uh, there, I guess there's news out a little bit today about The Last Jedi, but they're going to release a new trailer a week after next. Uh, if if several people who are familiar with what Disney's doing are, are to be believed, we'll get another trailer for Star Wars 8, uh, The Last Jedi, the first week in October, when I will be on my book tour, no less. I will be on a book tour and probably unable to watch it before the rest of you people. I will tell you, last night I saw the Punisher trailer on Netflix. Uh, it looks violent and gory, and I'm sure I will watch it uh, because they did such a good job in Daredevil Season 2 developing the Punisher character, but I'll probably like have to do it with my eyes partially closed. Ugh. Have a good weekend, folks.